been going along with this uh, series on Father Abraham. Uh, why he gets a name change tonight? We're going to talk this a little bit. He's going to become Abraham. His wife's going to become Sarah. Okay, you're cracking me up. All right, and some of you are already catching on where we're going here. All right, Abram. Name hadn't changed yet. Abram and Sarai. They laugh. And when I hear them laugh, you know, God thinks Abram's laugh is okay, I guess. But, Ab- A- I mean, Sarai laughs, and she gets rebuked, okay? I don't completely understand that at first blush. You know, I look at Abraham, he's okay. Sarai, to me, it's kind of, you know, bigoted there a little bit. La- you know, the woman gets in trouble, the man's okay. But that's just looking at it at, at first glance, okay? Now, 13 years have passed. Since Hagar's situation, remember when Hagar was given to Abraham by Sarai, his wife, to lie with, and she became pregnant, and she delivered Ishmael. Well, now, 13 years have passed, okay? Abram was 86 at that time, and now he's 99. Now, in those 13 years that went by, most Bible scholars believe that there was continually continual hurt, Jealousy and envy inside of their home. Hagar, uh, Ishmael, uh, Sarai, Abram, all of them living in a dysfunctional relationship. There was a lot of uh, 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 just just drama going down there all the time, you know. Back and forth between Hagar and, and Sarai. And Hagar gets her feelings hurt and she runs away in the wilderness. God says, go back. All of, all of that, okay. But God shows up 13 years after this incident that we're talking about, and he starts a new covenant with Abram, okay? A new covenant. Now, number one, let's just jump right into it. And please forgive me, because I have pieced together this sermon this afternoon. I'd spend a total of about six or seven hours on this sermon this week. And when I get ready to cut and paste for the notes for Emma tonight so she could put them up here, everything disappeared. And so uh, I had to go back in about 45 minutes to remember everything that I'd written down. Okay, so here we go. Genesis, okay, I said number one, didn't I? Moving back. I probably just turned my head and figured it out. Number one, God Almighty makes a promise. He gives us a name that we have not heard. All right? All right. Genesis, Genesis 17, 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. El Shaddai. That's the new name. When he said calls himself God Almighty, that's the term that he has given them. A completely new name that he'd never used of himself before. El Shaddai. God can do anything is what El Shaddai means. It means he can do it anytime, anywhere, and with anybody. He is the God who pours out and he blesses and he blesses abundantly. How many of you, just raise your hand, Associate the name El Shaddai with Amy Grant. 
A few of you. How many of you know who Amy Grant is? How many have no idea who she is? Couple. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Amy Grant, by the way, married one of my roommates in college, uh, Gary Chapman. We never mind. Uh, let's sing it all together. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Forget it. Okay. That's all I know. But God doesn't always use his power in the way that we want him to, does he? Okay. But it should always bring us comfort in knowing that he has the authority to use his power in any way he wants to. Okay. I'm comforted that God can do anything. There's times that I pray. And when I get down on my knees and I believe God, I can come up with a pretty good plan for El Shaddai. I can think of, you know, this is how you ought to answer the prayer. This is what I want. This is what I need. And if you just do it this way, everything will be okay. You know, no, God, you can do it that way. And when, I, when it doesn't happen that way, which it rarely does, I just look and say, well, God's just not as practical as I am, okay? But I look back and I thank him a lot of times for not answering my prayers the way that I prayed it. You know, I know it's not spiritual, but Garth Brooks wrote a song and performed it was God, called God, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. And you can spiritualize it pretty well because there are things in your life that you prayed for and you look back and you go, oh, thank you, Lord, you didn't answer that the way I wanted to, you to. Number two. Abram responds to God in this new covenant with humility. Abraham, Abram responds with humility. And in verses 3 and 5 of chapter 17, it says, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, and no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. He changed his name right there. This is a big deal. For I have made you a father of many nations. Now the culture did this, okay? They would fall down on their knees like this. That was the first motion they would use in falling down in respect and reverence and honor. And then they would hold their hands up and they would fall from their knees, fall from their kneeling position to their hands and put their face down on the ground. That's a very vulnerable position. That's kind of the way they were when their enemies cut their heads off. But they would do this standing in front of their God, making themselves completely vulnerable to him. And Abram, Abraham is now showing real humility. He's not high-fiving God and saying, hey, man, that's cool. Let's do this. This is real reverence. And this is real fear. And he's doing this in front of the almighty God, El Shaddai. You ever think about humility? Do you know whether you're really humble or are you not humble? You know, when people come to me and say, well, I'm really a humble person, I don't know if I can trust them. They're really proud of their humility. You know, I, I'm just really, I, I don't know that I can trust that. And I don't know if people that are truly humble know that they're truly humble. And I don't know if people that aren't humble know if they're really not humble, okay? But I began to think about this week, and I began to think about what are the signs of humility? I came up with three, 
three signs just on my own. The three signs of humility. The first one that I came up with was gratefulness. I think people that are truly humble have a grateful spirit. They don't seem to be continually grabbing for more. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. They're content. They seem to be happy and that they're alive and that they're breathing and that they have just enough in their life and they realize that God is their provider and that's enough. You know? People that are truly humble are grateful. How about this? People that are truly humble are good listeners. You know, you can sit in front of them and they don't act like they're trying to break in every half sentence that they're speaking because what they have to say is just a little more important than the person speaking at that time. But they sit and listen till the other person is completely through speaking. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? You can tell the other person when you're speaking and holding up your end of the conversation is really not interested in what you have to say? That's not humility. A person who sits and listens and is willing to absorb what you have on your mind. I think that's a, a sign of a humble person. How about this? And I think Abraham was this. He was humble in that he was obedient. I think a humble person is obedient. I believe an humble person has a willing heart, okay? They're willing to give it a shot if somebody needs their assistance. Number three, here we go. Here's a big turn. God changes their names, and he changes their identity. And we're speaking of Abram and Sarai, changing their name to Abraham and Sarah. Verse four, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Wow. What a promise, you know? His wife has not even been pregnant with their first son, and God's calling him Abraham, the father of many nations. Now we jump down to verses 15 and 16. Here's Sarah. God also said to Sarah, I mean to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Okay, what's the big deal about the name change, okay? What's the big whoopee, all right? There are four letters in the name of God, Yahweh. The Jewish people use that Jewish noun, Yahweh. Y-A-H-W-E-H. One of the letters appears twice, and in our language we call it the H. In the Hebrew, it's called the hey, okay? 
H-E-I. Hey. All right. Hey, yeah. Hey. God takes one hey, in our language, H, and he adds it to Abram's name. And he takes the other hey, or the other H at the end in the name, and adds it to Sarai's name. Abram is now Abraham. Sarai is now Sarah. Abram meant noble father. The original name, Abram meant noble father. Now his new name with the hay in it that God has given him is Abraham. Sarai is now Sarah. Okay? Sarai once meant princess. Now Abram is called Abraham and his name means Father of multitudes. Sarai is now Sarah, and her now, name now means mother of nations. God has taken a piece of his name, the hay, both of the hays in his name, and he's given one to Abraham and one to Sarah, and he is saying, I am giving you a piece of my name. Now we will be forever connected. I'm putting some of me, my name in you, and it will change your identity forever. You are Abraham, and you are now Sarah. You are a father of multitudes, and you are the mother of nations. God does that when you accept a piece of him into your life, and he changes your identity forever. If we're in a real Pentecostal church, we'd be burning the eyes about right now. It's what God does in all of us, and we're never the same. Along with the name change is a thing called circumcision. Okay, some people are interested in this. But it's the first time that it's mentioned in all the Bible. Okay, he tells Abraham that all of the males in your line are now going to have this physical sign that they are different from all the other nations of the earth. Circumcision nowadays is no longer required to follow God, okay? But this was a big deal back then. They carried this physical sign that identified them with Abraham in his line. All right, number four. What is the meaning of our laughter? Still in chapter 17, verses 17 through 19, we read, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Okay, Abraham's laughing. <laughs> I'm a hundred years old. Are you kidding? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael li might live under your blessing. He still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand that God really means that Sarah's going to have a baby and he's going to be the father. He's still thinking he's talking about Ishmael. All right? And then we go to verse 19, and it says, Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. <laughs> I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Okay? Abraham is cracking up. He's blown away by this promise. He can't believe it. He believes God is talking about one thing, and God says, No, you're not getting it. This is the way. Listen to me. Now we're going to jump ahead. Big jump. We're going to go to chapter 18. And what we find is Abraham out in the field. Abraham.
Graham's out in the field. I don't know what he's doing. Um, maybe he's whittling. I don't know. But he's out in the field, and he's, he just stumbles upon these three guys. All right? And we find out that these three guys later are the Lord. Okay? And um, when you see in the Scripture in the Old Testament, when God shows up in a physical form, this is called a theophany. When Christ shows up in a physical form like he did in the fiery furnace, that's called a Christophany, all right? And that's just so you can look real smart the next time you talk to your friends, all right? Verses 9 through 15 in chapter 18, it says, God says, where is your wife Sarah? They ask him. But anyway, when Abraham gets excited when he sees the Lord. He's thrilled with it. And, and he goes, can I refresh you? Can I get you something to eat? And they said, yeah, get us something to drink. We'd love something to eat. So Abraham goes back to the tent, goes in there. Sarai's in there, okay? And, and he says, hey, our guests out here need something to eat. Kill the calf and, and cook it and let's feed them and give me something to drink and I'll take it out to them, okay? And, and so he does that. After he feeds them and he refreshes them, Abraham, they say, where is your wife Sarah? And he says, there in the tent, Okay? In verse 10, it says, one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, what we don't know here is that Sarah is listening. She's eavesdropping on the conversation. Now, Sarah, listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him, Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, 90 years old. She's hearing this conversation, so Sarah laughed. Now, here's where she gets in trouble. God rebukes her for laughing. Now, Abraham, didn't he do the same thing? Okay. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm a worn out and my after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? In verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? And here's the refrigerator magnet that you guys have at home. You may have it in a plaque. I don't know, but this is where it comes from, right here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This is God speaking. He said, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah's afraid. And she lied, and she said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. No, I did not laugh. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Your two little kids. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Why did Sarah laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. What's the difference between the laugh of Abraham and the laugh of Sarah? Okay? Got to think about this for a second because there are several different kinds of laughter. All right? If I tell you a joke and you laugh, that's a natural laughter. If something unusual happens, all of a sudden we have this burst of air that comes out. And we laugh. That's the kind of laughter that Abraham had, I think. Okay? No, I, I take that back. I think he had the next kind of laughter. Okay? But we don't fully control that kind of laughter. Sometimes it's a 
a natural response. Have you ever been told something and something you can't control? You're laughing, you just start laughing. As a matter of fact, it usually happens in places where you're not supposed to laugh, like church. Remember when I was a teenager, funny things would happen at church and we'd be called down for them, but nevertheless. Next kind of laughter is the amazement laughter. Here's Abraham's laughter, okay? Hey, this is amazing. <laughs> you got to be kidding. <laughs> and we laugh. How's this happening? You're going to have a child, Abraham, you're 99 years old. <laughs> wow. That's an amazement laughter. And then finally, there's the cynical laughter. That's the third kind. That's the kind, <laughs> sure, right. I've heard this before. This is Sarah's laughter, the cynical laughter. She's been hurt. She's waited. She's prayed. She's received the promise from on high. She's tried to help God out, and it's been a complete disaster, her trying to help God out. And she laughs when she hears God say, you're going to be a mother. It's going to happen this time the next year. You're going to be 87 years old. <laughs> right. I've prayed this forever. Right. So we kind of understand a little bit more maybe why Sarai or Sarah was rebuked for her laughter. Are there attitudes in me that create a cynical laughter like Sarah had? Things that happen, things we go through, things that we're told and we go, yeah, right. Here's a takeaway from today. How do I view God? Is he El Shaddai to me? Or is he just the high five guy? You know? The one that we dress up in blue jeans and walk down the mall and call him the man upstairs. Is that the way that we view El Shaddai? Or do we have this intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. You know, I was really lucky in many ways in growing up. I had a father that I didn't have any trouble translating my feelings as an earthly father to my Heavenly Father as an important, intimate thing, okay? My dad had some issues. He had an, uh, uh, an emotional problem or an emotional difficulty. But when I was a kid, you know, he took me fishing. Every afternoon when he got off work, when he didn't feel like it, I'd grab the glove and he'd hand him the catcher's mitt and I'd take my glove and baseball and we'd go out in the backyard and we'd play catch. And this was the time from when I was first grade through, that's pretty big. I was out there and he'd always affirm me, tell me how much stronger I'm getting, how much harder I can throw the ball, all those things. And I was at every ball game, you know. Did everything that, you know, kids do. And he was there to support me, to go on, cheer me. You know, when I made mistakes, he, he still loved me anyway. He didn't write them down and tell me how bad I was. He, he was a good father. He loved me. So I didn't have any problem transferring my feelings toward my Heavenly Father. I didn't project a bad thing on something called the Heavenly Father. There are some people that really have a struggle doing that because you didn't have that when you were children. And I get it. Hurtful. You went through a lot of pain. Maybe even grow up without, uh, with an absentee father, just wasn't there. I get that, okay? But in all of that, 
because there's no blockage of calling somebody father, it's very easy for me to be intimate with El Shaddai. Almighty God, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, the omniscient one, the all-knowing one. Very easy for me in, in, in that way, you know. We had a man in our church in Vernon, Texas. He had a wife and he had four girls that went to our church. He wouldn't come. He called us the High Five Church. Literally, he called us that to my face. I said, Paul, why do you call it the High Five Church? He said, because you're so emotional and expressive in your worship. It just looks like you all are doing a high five here every service. I said, you don't get it, Paul. I said, because we have an emotional relationship, an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, we don't mind being expressive in our love for Him. It's not about just having a good time. It's about connecting with the Heavenly Father. You, you never understood that, I don't think, okay? But who is God to me? Maybe that's a question you need to ask you yourselves on the way home tonight. Is he still El Shaddai, that all-powerful, that all-knowing one? Number two, can God really change people? I mean, he changed Abraham and Sarah's name, but did he really change their identity? Has he changed things inside of you? And I don't mind if you raise your hand or not, but I'm going to ask a question, okay? Has God ever changed anything in you? Raise your hand. All right. I'll raise my hand too. So we're personal testimonies of the ability for God to change things in people. A friend of mine I play golf with regularly, his name's Mike McClure. And Mike used to go to the church. He still goes to the church over in Manfred. But Mike, before his salvation, was a mean and nasty guy. He lost marriages over his attitude and his spirit. And after the last marriage, he's very broken when this happened. I don't think he'd mind me telling this. He tells it everywhere he decides. Came to his pastor and he bowed down on his knees in his office and he gave his heart to Jesus. And his pastor told him, he said, Mike, you need to allow God to change you tonight. And he began to change. And if you talk to Mike now, he's one of the most gentle and nice guys you'd ever want to meet. Kind, thoughtful, generous. I know. I've seen it over and over. God changing things in people. And finally, number three, this is the thing that we need to ask ourselves. Have I become cynical? I hope I spelled that right. I don't think I did. I think Emma changed it for me. What causes us to be cynical? One thing is disappointment. A lot of times we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and pray. And we got to be honest, sometimes that answer just doesn't seem to come. We get disappointed, and we're disappointed over the same issue time after time after time, not recognizing that perhaps what we've been praying for is God saying wait or no. Just because we're not getting it, it doesn't mean God is not answering the prayer. Disappointment can cause us to be cynical. How about this? Disillusionment. It's almost the same thing, but not quite. 
things that should be true, that have said to be true, but we discover just simply are, are not true. And we become disillusioned. Another thing that can cause cynicism is hardship. You know, Sarah went through hardship. She went through a lot of pain. Can you imagine everybody around her getting pregnant? By the way, my daughter's pregnant again. And um, my other daughter is getting ready to deliver my sixth grandchild in at the end of February. And this one will come about September. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not suffering without grandchildren, that's for sure. But hardship, hardship can develop that spirit, that hardness and that, that anger inside of us. Suffering, been dealing with a sickness or any other kind of thing in your life for so long and it just, it just grates on you, calluses you and we become cynical. Let's stand. I'm going to pray again. Go ahead and stand. Well, Abraham, a name change. I trust that God's put a part of himself inside of you. He's put his hey in your name. Don't let us become cynical, okay? Let's not become hard. Let's love our Lord intimately and understand that He is all-powerful, okay? He's all-knowing, and He wants the very best for every one of us as His children. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'll reach down in this congregation and You'll touch each person here. You know them by name. You know every hair that's on their head. And Lord, You have a plan, and You have... You have a plan for each one of us. I'm believing that the Spirit of God is going to guide us and you're going to lead us. Lord Jesus, you're a mighty God. You are El Shaddai. And let us never forget that. That we always know that you're working on our behalf. Lord, right now, when we can't see it and we don't know it, as we talked about Wednesday night, he is protecting us. And we are more protected than we even know. Lamb of God, we love you. We praise you give you honor in your son's precious name. Amen. God bless you. Uh, let's not forget next Sunday.